Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome, everyone, to the Mike Abadir Show. I am your host, Mike Abadir. Today is Thursday, September 15th, 2022, and I'm joined by my wingman, the one and only Pop DiBiase, my man Jamil, and we're going to be talking about the high-flying week, which was week one in the NFL, and we'll also take a look at week two, give out our picks, and uh, recap everything that we've seen thus far, as well as a little pennant fever talk. So let's start with uh, seeing how Jamil is doing. Pop, what's going on, my man? How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, sir. I'm glad to be on the show today. Um, I This will be my third show today. I'm feeling my energy. My energy is definitely back right now. Um, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, I, I, I had to get a little bit of, uh, I had to make sure I got, I was, I was kind of fasting a little bit too much today. I had to make sure I got some food in. And everything like that, some yogurt, and some good uh, hummus. So you know, I'm feeling good, feeling great, man. What you call it? just taking it one day at a time, sir. Good deal. So let's get right to it, man. That week one and the endings that we witnessed, that may have been the most remarkable week one I've seen in ages. It kind of reminds me of I think it was 2011's baseball season ending. Remember that where like unfortunately the Red Sox got bounced out on the last day by Tampa, but like one of those days where every single game is bonkers. That's to me how Week One was, and man was the kicking game so important. I mean that literally cost teams ball games across the NFL. What do you think of that first week of action? And if if that's a preview for the rest of the season, man. Fasten your seatbelts, hold on tight, and uh, I'd be kind of scared to place my betting dollars <laughs> unless I know for sure that teams have stable kickers. You know what I mean? Right, and you know what? This reminds me a lot of opening week back in about, uh, I would say, uh, 2017. Yeah, I'm thinking 20, 2016, actually. And um, that's what I'm seeing right here is that we had you have a lot of you had a lot of good things going on in the morning and then the afternoon became very formful in my opinion you know what i mean i think what happened in the afternoon you had more blowouts than you had any close games because like let's use the example you have the chiefs go out there and literally they just just ransacked the cardinals and then you had the rest of and then you had the the raiders did not the Raiders only lost by five, but the, let, let's keep it real. The Raiders did not look good at all, and literally the Chargers kept them. The defense kept them in the game, and the Cowboys. Come on, that was just absolutely dreadful. But you know, I like the fact that we didn't have that many blowouts. You know, what I mean, and I like the fact that we didn't have like four teams scoring forty-four points, and just you know, and then you know, you see Detroit drop thirty-five opening day. They were down 28 to 31 with only a few minutes left to go in the game. They're showing that they got some spirit. A lot of times, I just think that it's like the first day of school. Everybody's really excited to be here. And I think that we're, we've now turned week one into the actual uh, dress rehearsal somewhat for a lot of teams moving forward since nobody's playing in the preseason anymore. So I, I always say don't take too much away from week one. I think that week two is going to be more telling on what we need to expect going forward in the NFL. But it's always like this the first four weeks of the year where it's topsy-turvy. You got this idea, say, a team goes 2-0 the first few weeks. Oh, they've changed the they've changed their mentality. They're, they're, they're here. Then they get beat by 30 next week. Oh, yeah. Well, Happens all the time, every year. Right. It, it, I think it, it's more about you game plan very well, and then now the tape's out and teams have figured things out. And then, you know what? This is the one thing that everybody always has to factor in, and I talk about it all the time. Injuries. It's that simple. Injuries. You can have a Super Bowl contender this week, and then your star quarterback gets hurt Sunday. All of a sudden, playoffs ain't even on your mind. You're just hoping that you go 500. You know, let me tell you, let me give you an analogy, Pop, and this is something that I've been working on for a few months and developing it in my mind. 
but I think it translates well. Let's see. Let's see. We'll use you as a test audience, Pop, and then we'll see if the listeners, if this resonates with them as well. So I look at the NFL. We got 32 clubs, and I, I look at them like comic book superheroes, okay? Each team has a superpower. Some have multiple superpowers. Some have like x-ray vision and they're lightning fast. And, you know, some can swim underwater like Aquaman. Some can fly like Superman. Some can spin webs like Batman. Each team has a superpower. And when you have superheroes fighting each other, right, you're sometimes going to have somebody who you think is kind of a weaker superhero win because he's got the kryptonite. He's got that one thing that can neutralize Superman's powers and so on and so forth. And so when you see a team go, like you said, 2-0, and maybe even 3-0 and or 4-0, and and then they end up the year like 6-10 and previously, now it would be 6-11 and after the 17-game switch, right? right? And you ask yourself, were they off to a high-flying start? And then what happened? It's kind of more like, no, just the way the schedule's set up, they got to face four or five superheroes that for whatever reason, their skill sets were able to neutralize their opponent's skill sets. But the reality of it is this, the teams that win 10 games or more are the ones that have the most superpowers at their disposal and they can handle the Aquaman underwater guy. They can handle the guy that spins webs like Spider-Man. They can handle somebody who can leap buildings and so on and so forth. And that's kind of how I see the NFL. And I think if people kind of looked at it like that with that mindset, I think it helps even with handicapping, right? It's not just this thing where a good team faces a crappy team supposedly and they just whoop ass. That's not the way it works. And that's why sometimes you'll see Super Bowl teams, you know, going down to the wire with the last second field goal to either win or lose against a team that's deemed to be piss poor quality you you see what i'm saying i don't know what what do you think of that analogy pop does that resonate with you yeah somewhat you know everything is something that's commonplace in sports you know i mean especially in football everybody has their different angles different adages and things like that Uh, angle i like to look at is all-time series with a team you know i mean because sometimes there's just a team you can't beat you know and they might not even be in your division you might not even see them every single season but they always kick your ass when you see them. You know what I mean? And sometimes we have to put that into our scout report as well, too. Like, say, mm, I'm trying to remember a game where I use this angle and it worked. And this, yeah, it worked in the uh, Detroit-Washington game. Because overall, Detroit has a winning record all time against Washington, right? And a lot of times I've seen the, the Lions beat, the, uh, beat, beat them. So it was easy to take that game. But that's just one example of it. But... There's all types of different angles that you use. That's why I got a show called The Primetime Angles. But I think that that makes it more fun and creative for people. And it makes you understand the game a little bit better in, without overthinking the game. You know what I mean? So I think that's a good, a good analogy. You don't want to overthink the NFL. You just don't. Because the NFL is so simplified because everybody's so talented. It's that simple. Totally true. Now, I want to talk about one game specifically. And that was the Steelers and the Bengals. Now, the Steelers got themselves a good road win, right? You're, you're, you're beating the opponent that was a Super Bowl representative in the AFC. They're also in your division. They're a hated, heated division rival. I don't know how they didn't blow out the Bengals. Five turnovers, and it took a la- uh, an overtime field goal to win the game? Like it, so I guess my question for you is this: Are you more impressed with the Bengals being able to stay in that ball game despite five turn? And you know this: There's always a stat that they'll show, right? Teams that have turned over the ball five times, or whatever, you know, three and and, and eighty five in the last eighty eight times, or whatever the number is. You know what I mean? I mean, I just made up that number. So if somebody looks it up, they could find out the specific. But it's probably something pretty dire right you turn over the ball five times you're not winning a lot of games so are you more impressed with the Bengals hanging in there or with the Steelers for going on the road in a hostile environment and pressuring Joe Burrow 
and that offense to turn over the ball five times and to come out of there with a win. Where do you stand on that? Um, you know what? I just give the kudos and props to how good the Pittsburgh defense was. And I just say they was they were a victim of circumstance. In all honesty, they weren't the only team that got caught up in that situation. Both the teams that that lost very really close games that they shouldn't have lost lost in the same exact way. Look at uh, what happened to Denver. Denver fumbled the ball twice at the one-yard line. Denver should win the game 30-17. Everybody knows that. That's, like, honestly. They should have won the game by 10 or better. And the, everybody walk around loving Seattle. No, you got lucky. You know what I mean? The, the defense bailed your ass out. So that's what happened in the Cincinnati game is that defense bailed them out. But I think that what happened simply what happened in that game was is that you had an overconfident Cincinnati team. It's that simple, uh, Mike. They were too confident going in. Joe Burrow was over here at Ohio State games, hanging out at a school that he 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 ran away from. You know, uh, you got Chase. He's pulling up to everything that's that's fancy with a big jewelry on. I I think these guys had felt they had already made it in life, and I don't think that was the right idea for this team. At the end of the day, the Bengals knew know that they're about a year too early. They should be coming on now. So I think that the Bengals are a game-by-game situation just like the Chargers. It's that simple. There were four games in addition to the Pittsburgh-Cincinnati game where big leads were coughed up. So I want to talk about those. And the games I'm talking about are the Saints and the Falcons. Falcons had a big lead. They looked like they were in prime position to win. The Eagles looked like they were going to blow out the Lions. And then somehow I turned away from that game, and I came back and looked, and it was like a three-point game. I'm like, what the hell? Uh, the Browns had a big lead against the Panthers, and the Texans had a big lead against the Colts. So it's interesting because we saw a mixed bag. Some One of those teams coughed up a lead and lost the game. Two of the other teams gave up big leads and held on, and one game ended up at a tie. <laughs> so we saw a really mixed bag which of those games were you most impressed with the team that came out on top or the team that maybe mounted a comeback but fell a little bit short? Maybe we could start with the Saints and the Falcons. I thought that was kind of an interesting game because their offense really, you know, I was texting with my cousin Will during the game, and we were both like, man, they got all these superheroes, to continue on with that analogy, and Michael Thomas and Kamara, and they weren't really using them. They were doing trick plays, and I know one worked out with Taysom Hill, but it was almost like they were fooling around for three quarters, and then they're like, all right, we better give the ball to our playmakers and end up winning that game. But what are your thoughts about some of those games where there were some uh, comeback comebacks mounted? Okay, Saints-Falcons, that was just Jameis being Jameis. Jameis has done that in uh, Atlanta plenty of times. He did that uh, with the Buccaneers, to be exact. And then, um, you know, that was just Jameis being Jameis. But I'm going to say this, the defense saved their ass there in the fourth quarter. And the for sure. Defense- biggest reason why you know those points were given up Jameis was was making mistakes well Jameis not Jameis necessarily Mark Ingram was making mistakes at the wrong time you know what I mean and they were just in bad field position when you get good field position you can score points a little bit quicker but then they saw that Marcus Mariota and the crew got a little excited when they got up 26 to 7 as if the game was already over when you have Jameis Winston on your football team, you cannot have that mentality. And we both know this. Once he figures some things out and once that uh, play caller figures some things out, you your ass is grass. And we both know this. This is why the guy was the most polarizing college football player at one point of his life as well, too. So, you know, don't write Jameis Winston off. He's just like Reggie Bush. These guys are pure football players. They're just goofballs outside the game. And so that's what makes things a little bit shaky. But I think that all in all, the Saints put it together the right way. They win the game. Now, when we get the Browns-Panthers, Browns, I keep it real with you. The Browns started sitting on their hands a little bit. They did a tremendous job defensively in the first half, but tremendously in the second quarter, to be exact. And the Browns jumped out on them 17 zip in that game. 17 7, 17 zip. It doesn't matter. But they had a 17 0 lead, and the Browns literally scored nine points after that. The Browns had a lot left to, to desire in that game, in my opinion. You know what I mean? And the kicker um, 
has a big moment. 58 yarder at first, they said it's a 60 yarder, then it was a 58 yarder. But that was K York's first big field goal in the league, and he knocked it down with ease. So the Browns see themselves having a bright future, and the Browns have, have won one, had won one opener, Mike. Since coming back in 99, that was in 2004. That was their first world opener win since 1994, 28 years. So could this be a new look in the Browns uh, era, uh, this new era of the Browns? I think so, because you got a great running game. You got a great quarterback. And, well, you got a great quarterback coming, but you got a great game manager in Brissett. It doesn't matter what people want. You, you don't – I don't care. I saw three 300 passers um, – lose last weekend so it doesn't really matter if you're throwing for over 300 yards and then i saw another guy almost lose the game 300 yard passer so the to me passing stats right now are very very uh you know shot in a sense you know i mean uh run game stats that's different because that really puts impact on the game a lot of times we run into guys who have 300 yards but they have that because they're junk yards so I still feel that the Browns had probably the best way to come because that's how the Browns lose all the time. But this time around, they got some favors. They got their kicker out there. Boom, you win the game. And that's because Jacoby managed the situation perfectly. You know what I mean? You couldn't put the ball in somebody else's hands who hasn't had that experience. And Jacoby has had that experience. By being in that quarterback room with Bill Belichick, uh, McDaniels and Tom Brady, he is the ultimate. He's the perfect backup. He's the perfect uh, safety guy. So it doesn't matter to me that he didn't get over 300 yards. That 147 was good enough for me. He didn't get sacked. He threw for a touchdown, and he did everything the right way to where the Browns could manage to win that game, and they still were able to get 218 yards on the ground. So it's that simple. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You know, let's Take a quick commercial timeout. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about some of the rest of the games, including the one I mentioned a moment ago, where the Texans had a 20-3 to lead against the Colts, end up tying. i got a couple stats I want to throw out, throw out at you and the listeners, because I think when you're handicapping these Colts games, you may want to know what I'm going to share with you. Stay with us, everyone. We'll take a quick commercial timeout. We'll be back with more Pop DiBiase. And we'll be joined by 49ers beat writer Rob Guerrera from SB Nation right after this. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at the themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back on the Mike Abadir Show, talking a little bit of NFL with Pop DiBiase. We'll be joined in a few moments here. Uh, with our next guest talking some 49ers football. But before we do that, Pop, I wanted to get your thoughts on the on these stats from the Texans and Colts game, okay? So I found this to be very fascinating because, you know, this wasn't a game that I was hot and heavy on on Sunday. I was more focused on where my clients were playing and um, the, the Saints in the morning game to see if they were going to be able to... Uh, start playing a little bit better because at that time uh, they were kind of uh, stuck in neutral. Another team that supposedly would be stuck in neutral would be the Colts, right? Because they were down 20 to three heading into the fourth quarter. Now let's take a look by the numbers. Okay. Because numbers are kind of fascinating for a game that ended up in a tie. First of all, time of possession, they were a hair under 40 minutes, the Colts that is, and the Texans 30. Right, so they had the ball for almost 10 more minutes than the Texans did. They outfirst downed them 33 to 20. The yardage, 517 for the Colts, 299 total yards for the Texans. Right? Number of sacks were similar, two and three. They outrushed them by 100 yards. There were some penalties. And two turnovers for the Colts, one for the Texans. I don't know how the Texans weren't able to put this away when they had the position to to do so, but I think that probably tells the story right there because they were pretty much outplayed in almost every facet of the game. And yet, I, I think even though they had a big lead, to come out of there with a tie was actually kind of a miracle if you look at it from a statistical perspective, Pop. Right. And I just think that when you look at the coach, they, they, they got caught by surprise. It's just that simple. And, you know, the Texans, and we talked about this earlier on NFL betting change, me and Jeff, I just felt like the Texans just played off the momentum of the crowd. The crowd really got them pumped up. Nobody's giving to the Texans a shot, but they fans still believe in them. You know, because that's one thing I will say about the city of Houston. It don't matter if the team's great. With, with They're great. Everybody loves them. If they're really bad, hey, everybody loves them, but they might not be so loud about it. But still, they love going to those games, and they love watching that team win. So, you know, that's one thing the Texans have been good for over the, their whole time in the league over the last 20 years. We're celebrating their 20th season. I can't believe that, Mike. Um or last year might have been, they said, it was their 20th season. But I remember they came to the league in 02. So pretty much um, they're in their 20th year. And they have always played well at home in openers. It just it doesn't matter. They've always been a good home opening team or a team that messed your money up on opening day. And that's exactly what they do. And so they went ahead and did it again, Mike. So that's all I'm saying there. And I think that what happened in that game, the stats were absolutely nuts, but that's where you, we get a lot of this. You had the, the, the Ravens outgain the jets 345 to 274. They lost by 15. Think about that. And Flacco threw for 307, but he had to throw the ball 59 times. So then he goes to show you that passing yards ain't really much nothing if you throw on the ball 60 yards. Of course you're going to get 300 yards. Why wouldn't you get 300 yards? You know what I mean? So, you know, I think that stats the first week can all be tossed out. You know what I mean? Like literally, because next this week, those stats aren't going to matter in these games. You know what I mean? Because teams aren't going to have those same game plans. I think the Jets just ditched whatever run game they were going to do and just started passing because they were literally out that game before it even started. So, you know, they had that working for them. So, you know, when I look at the Texans, I don't see anything that excites me to make them move forward and have a better team. But I know they got a good leader in Lovey Smith. 
And they can say what they want about Lovey Smith, but Lovey Smith is a player's coach. He's been to the Super Bowl before. He's won a Super Bowl ring with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers as the uh, as the man behind the man on uh, with the defensive backs with that defense as well too. Did a great job in St. Louis as well. Was a part of teams that went to the Super Bowl with that group as well. So you know, Lovey is is is, is a coach. It doesn't really matter. He's like how old. Uh, Paul Silas used to be. It don't matter if he win or lose. He's here to go ahead and help do the job. That's it. So, well, I'll tell you what, man. They've actually got a pretty good quarterback on their hands that not a lot of people know about in Davis Mills. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to break him down uh, a, a little bit later. Um, we got to. Let's see here. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that part later. Let's bring in our next guest here. Pop, I don't know if you want to, if you're able to hang with us or if you want to come back maybe on the other side of the break, but we're going to bring in right now a first time guest with us. And if you listen to the show, if you're a show regular, we like to bring on guys from SB Nation, from The Athletic, from Fox Sports, from ESPN, from all genres. We have a lot of repeat guests, but we got a first timer for you guys today. And I know there's a lot of 49er fans that listen to this show and he's uh Man, he, he tells it the way it is. And I'm talking about Rob Guerrera of SB Nation, NFL, Niners Nation. Rob, good afternoon. How are you? You're on with Mike and Pop. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, we're, we're happy to have you, uh, especially as a first-timer. So we're going to take it a little bit easy on you today. We're not going to bring the heat. <laughs> but, but I know that the uh, 49ers uh, top brass is probably getting a little bit of heat. And, uh, you know, I was looking through some of your tweets to kind of get a feel for which camp you're in. Are you a Jimmy G guy? Are you a Trey Lance guy? And I actually found that, for the most part, you've been pretty fair in evaluating this situation. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but let's let's start there with the whole Jimmy G, Trey Lance situation. You know, I, I kind of have some thoughts about it, just what is said between the in between like if you read in between the lines when you bring back a Jimmy G I think it's very telling what say you Oh of course it is look you don't bring a parachute unless you think you might have to jump out of the plane right like that's just a basic fact that's how NFL teams are run but you know you asked before am I a Jimmy guy or a Trey guy I feel like that sort of the sides that have arisen in the 49er fan base and my whole thing from the beginning has been, I'm not a Jimmy guy or a Trey guy. I'm a, we need a good quarterback guy. I don't care who he is or where it comes from. I just want my team to have a good quarterback, and I know that Jimmy Garoppolo is not good enough to be that quarterback to win us a Super Bowl. So I'm done with him. I don't want to see him. Right now, I'd like to see Trey Lance because we don't know what he is yet. You know what? After a couple years, if he's not getting it done, I want to get rid of him. So I don't care where the good quarterback comes from, but I just know it's not Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that's a pretty pretty solid take there. Um, when when you when you're looking at who should take the helm, Jimmy G did win. Now sometimes it was ugly, but the one thing about Jimmy G that I've always noticed, I felt, and I think probably those who are looking at it objectively knew that he didn't necessarily have the full faith of Shanahan. And, and when the stakes were high at the highest, let's just say in the key playoff games, you could see that the attempts went down. And so that was one thing that was kind of indicative to me of, we like this guy as a game manager, but not as a guy that we can kind of put it on his shoulders and, and ride off his coattails into getting wins when it comes to playoff time. Was that, do you think ultimately what led them into, you know, trading a lot of their draft stock for Trey Lance. We'll talk later about whether that was a sound investment or not, but do you think that was kind of what precipitated that move? Yeah, I think there's no other way to look at it. Like the 49ers themselves decided that Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't good enough, right? Remember, they were flirting with every quarterback under the sun. Tom Brady wanted to go to play with the 49ers before he went to the Buccaneers. They talked about that. They were heavily in on the Matthew Stafford trade talks, trying to get him. They knew that Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't good enough, and that's why they moved heaven and earth. Like you said, traded three first-round picks plus more 
to go up and draft Jimmy Garoppolo's replacement. So they're telling you, forget what they say. Look at what they do. And what they're doing is telling you that Jimmy Garoppolo is not good enough. I think that makes a whole lot of sense to me. Um, We could probably talk about this side of the uh, equation for probably an entire show, but I kind of want to shift to the running game. Uh, They've had a lot of injuries over the years with with their running backs. Is there something beyond bad luck, do you think, that's contributing to this? At this point, it's tough to say it's luck, right? Because it's been now, this is year six of Kyle Shanahan. He's never had the same leading rusher in back-to-back seasons. And I think part of the problem is they have consistently relied on guys that get hurt. And if there's one thing that you can rely on in the NFL, in a sport with 100% injury rate, it's that hurt guys get hurt. Raheem Mostert could never stay healthy. They brought him back for multiple years. Matt Breida could not stay healthy. Elijah Mitchell last year could not stay healthy, couldn't make it through week one. So when you keep relying on guys with long injury histories, they're going to continue to get hurt. And so that's what we've seen. That's why the 49ers have cycled through so many running backs that they put a wide receiver at running back last year. Now, luckily for me and for them, It happened to be Debo Samuel, and he happens to be a unicorn in the NFL, and he was great. But that's how bad it got. They were so desperate for anybody to run the ball, they put Debo back there. Jeff Wilson, I found him to be kind of a – he's kind of got a nose for the end zone. I like Jeff Wilson. Now, do you think he's most effective when he's spelling somebody? Or can he be, you know, kind of – the lead guy if the 49ers offense even has such a thing because they seem to be able to creatively get the ball into so many players hands that's what makes them effective but what do you think what do you what are your expectations of jeff wilson because i kind of like him you know who jeff wilson jr is jeff wilson jr is the guy who's dating the female lead in a romantic comedy when the story begins you know for a fact that guy is not going to end up with that girl by the time the movie is over. (laughs) He's just the guy that has to get shoved out of the way so the real hero can emerge. And I know that sounds mean to Jeff Wilson. There's absolutely nothing wrong with him. He's a competent NFL running back. But there is also nothing special about Jeff Wilson Jr. And that's my issue is that when you're the 49ers and you have drafted running backs in the third round for the past two seasons, and then guys at the running back position get injured, if the people you drafted are not the immediate replacement, something is wrong. And the 49ers are not going to use Ty Davis-Price, who they took in the third round, and so it's Jeff Wilson Jr., and that doesn't leave me with a good feeling. So I'm going to piggyback on that then. This week of practice, has it given us any indication as to whether it is going to be Davis-Price or uh, Jordan Mason as the number two? He hasn't so far. Kyle Shanahan is very coy with these things. Now, Ty Davis-Price was a healthy scratch in week one, and Kyle Shanahan said it was because Jordan Mason was better on special teams. So that may give you a hint of sort of where they stand. I mean, 49ers literally thought they'd be better off with Ty Davis-Price not even putting on a jersey last week. So it would be hard to see him suddenly jumping up to number two in the span of a week. Now, you never know, but if I had to put my money on somebody, I would say it's going to be Jeff Wilson Jr., number one, Jordan Mason, number two. Before you came on, Pop was talking about throwing away the stats from week one. I think probably even more so when you're talking about conditions that the 49ers and Bears were playing in. Defensively, they uh, had two sacks. They created one turnover. But is this pretty much a strike a line through that ball game in terms of what we could expect as a defensive effort from the 49ers? No, I think the 49ers are going to have an elite top three defense in the league this year. Um, they Their pass rush is incredible. They have a front seven that's fantastic. They got pressure uh, under two and a half seconds at the fourth best rate in the entire league last year. They've only gotten stronger. Their secondary is actually stronger now with the addition of um, Charvarius Ward and Talanoa Hufanga, their safety, who looks like he can become a player. I think this 49ers defense is going to be the strength of their team. I think they're going to lean on it early and often, and I think that they are going to be one of the best units in the entire NFL. 
makes a lot of sense. I, I tend to agree with you with that assessment. They're going to be fun to watch. And at least we know that they are a Rams killer. So if the Rams are going to be the top team in that division, um, I'm not even convinced of that necessarily. But hey, after week one, just about everybody's 0-1. I think the team that probably is the worst amongst the four is at the top of the division. That kind of tells you how funky week one was. I want to talk about the team's overall health. And maybe we could start with... Uh, the big guy, George Kittle. Yeah, that's been the frustrating thing. Trey Lance has started three career games. George Kittle has missed two of those three games. He has yet to practice this week. It doesn't look like he's going to be out there now. It's always possible that he can play without practicing, but Kyle Shanahan usually likes to at least get guys in there for one day if he's going to throw them in during the game. And so, unfortunately, it looks like Kittle's going to be on the shelf. You know, I mean, he was healthy up until Monday of week one. And then all of a sudden he has this groin injury, and now it could be multiple weeks. Now, again, the 49ers are going to play in a rain game on Sunday. There's an 80% chance of rain. So maybe the team is just being extra cautious with, you know, potentially a wet, muddy field. They don't want to throw Kittle out there if he's got a groin injury. But it's definitely very upsetting because, look, they scored 10 points last week. They need all the help they can get. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, I, I kind of sit back and look at this offense from the perspective of they got some playmakers. I, I like Brandon Ayuk. I think we saw, we've saw we seen glimpses from Jennings, right? And obviously we know about Debo. I'd like to see Trey Lance, what he could do with a full complement of those guys, including George Kittle, as the, the, the safety valve that's, that so many quarterbacks in the league use with that tight end position. I think that would be the only fair way to truly assess Trey Lance. I know 49er fans are hoping for 100 yards rushing and 300 yards passing every game, but let's just see how he does with a full complement of uh, his arsenal. That's kind of my take on it. You know what I mean? I've looked, believe me, from your lips to God's ears. I would love to hear it to see that. It uh, doesn't look like that's – I mean, the running back, they're already going to be down to their number two running back for the next seven weeks. So they're not going to have the, the full sort of A team, so to speak. But, yeah, I would like to see Debo, Kittle, and Ayuk with Trey Lance because I think that you would get to see the offense the way it's sort of dreamed up to be, which would be heavy on the run, play action with deep strikes down the field. As I like to say, Trey Lance doesn't look to hit singles. He looks to hit doubles. You know, he really does – go deep to short when he goes through his progressions, this offense could be a just chunk play offense where they are carving people up through the air, but you can't do that if you don't have all your weapons around you. Hopefully, at some point, we get to see it for a few games. We're talking to Rob Guerrero of the SB Nation, Niners Nation, podcaster, does it all, covers the 49ers. You can tell he's got a lot of passion. Before we let you go, Rob, Tell us, why are you nicknamed Stats? So my first job as an intern at ESPN Radio was to bring stats to the radio hosts that were on the air during college game day. And somebody walked by the studio and saw this young 20-year-old kid in there and said, who is that in the studio? And another producer said, I don't know, Stats, because that's literally the only <laughs> thing that he knew about me. And so from then on, Nobody ever called me by my first name. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, it's 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 stuck. It probably fits you because you throw out some pretty good stats on social media. How can our listeners follow you if they want anything 49ers or NFL related on social media? I am at every social media you could think of. TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. Facebook. Just search for Stats on Fire and you will find me. I like to say I'm there for the arguments. Well, I just started following you, but scrolling through your feed, a lot of good content there, Rob. Hey, thank you so much. I hope we could bring you back when the 49ers are keep our fingers crossed humming a little bit. Me too. That sounds good. Awesome, Rob. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Hope we could have you back sometime soon, and good luck to your 49ers against the pesky Seahawks this weekend, my friend. Thank you very much. That is Rob Guerrera with SB Nation NFL, Niners Nation. We're going to take our final timeout and come back, recap a little bit more of week one, and look forward to week two with Pop DiBiase right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel have you become a member yet sign up now to become a member of voice america it's always free and easy plus you get to take advantage of some great member benefits get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels keep track of your favorite episodes shows and hosts in your own customizable library find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites plus you get insider access with our newsletter membership gives you more Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. So, Pop, what do you think of uh, Rob's take on the 49ers uh, off the air? We were just talking about that division a little bit. Pretty nutty, right? And that the three probably better teams in the division start off 0-1-1. Uh, the Seahawks, which not a lot of people think highly of, is is 1-0. Um, but w- w- what do you, you think about what Rob had to say? Sounded like there was some frustration overall. You could tell he's a 49ers fan and just frustrated by their injuries. Yeah, but you know what, though? It's, it, it, the 49ers, to me, um, they got to be one way that they got to be really, really good, or they're gonna be really, really bad. It's gonna be one. It's one or the other, man. Because I saw some things in that team was like, okay, they look Super Bowl like. Then I saw some things in that team. Where I was like, well, they look kind of six and twelve. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, six and twelve. What did I say? Six, six and eleven. I'm sorry. Um, so, you know, it, it just all depends on how how they approach this thing. I know one thing. They're a little bit far blown when it comes to. Um, Trey Lance's performance. I just think that the play calling for the Bears was 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 very tricky, and it and they caught him slipping. That's all it was. Is that that it was a it was a backyard football game, and they caught him slipping. But I can't say this: Justin Fields won the game because he's been starting a little bit longer than Trey Lance as well, too. And the thing is, he has a bit more pressure on himself than Trey Lance does because honestly. His offensive prowess makes that whole team go. So when he's going, everybody else is going. Trey Lance can get a good run game going from uh, Debo, and they can manage because they got a great offensive line. And I just think that there was the play calling was detrimental to the quarterback, not the quarterback. Let's go back for a quick second to the Eagles and Detroit game. Is the Eagles' offense as good as the 38-point opener would indicate? Or do you think it's just a matter of, hey, they're playing indoors, playing in a dome, they're playing as a lowly Lions, and yeah, they've gotten a little bit of hype because of hard knocks, but they're still the lowly Detroit Lions. Where do you stand on the Eagles after one week? Um, The Eagles looked very impressive, but the Eagles were in a game like if they were, say – uh, if they were, say, Ohio State going against Miami of Ohio. That's what type of game that was. It didn't matter if it got close at the end because you just knew Philadelphia was going to win. That's the, just, the matchup just called for Philadelphia to win, and you knew a lot of people had their hearts in that game because they were watching so much going on with the uh, Lions during the uh, during the 
uh, preseason and everything like that. So I think when we all put everything in together, two and two, two, and two together, I just think that at the end of the day, this is something that um, is going to be really good for everybody moving forward that you have a team like the Lions that um, are, are on the up and up. That's what it looked like to me. The Lions are going to be better than they were last year. They're not going to make the playoffs, but they're going to be better than they were last year, and they can start now being in position to becoming a team that's going to be a relevancy as the Packers start to re- digress into the back background of the N- a- NFC North, in my opinion. But I just think that Philly played a damn good game, went ahead and said, we're not going to go ahead and risk any starters, no problem about them scoring 14 points here in the uh, end. It's all good, but that's something that will be getting called out on uh, that's something that's been getting caught out on all week during tape. But during well, after that game, they didn't care. But during the week, they're going to say, we can't do that this week against the Vikings. We can't sit there and play that game with the Vikings. We have to go ahead and go beat them boys. So that's how I'm looking at that one. We've touched on almost every game. But there are two teams that were pretty impressive that got first wins for first-time NFL head coaches. I'm talking about the Vikings and the Dolphins. Each of them look pretty impressive, especially on the defensive side. Let's start with the Miami-New England Patriots game. Miami wins that game 20-7. to They totally shut down that offense. I think that there's going to be uh, a lot of internal conversations within the Patriots as to who's going to be calling the plays. Is it Matt Patricia? Is it, you know, the, I, 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 look, to me, when you have this like play calling by committee type nonsense, I think that's just going to cause confusion. That's just my take on it. Now, Mac Jones didn't play necessarily a poor game, but it's kind of funny, Pop. Let me throw this out at you. I've never seen such a big discrepancy between a quarterback's rating, which I can't say I fully understand, and his QBR, which I can't fully understand either. But I know that the higher, the better. So I'm going to give you some comparisons. Tua had a 104 rating and a 78 QBR. Mac Jones had an 87 rating, which is respectable, but a 9.7 QBR. So using two different metrics would tell you two completely different pictures as to the type of game that, that Mac Jones had. But offensively, basically, they were stuck in neutral almost all game long. The Dolphins' defense was clearly superior, and they made enough plays offensively. And as Tyreek Hill mentioned, they had a little cojones in their play calling. Uh, what did you think of McDaniel first game out? I thought McDaniel was very confident. I thought that he he, he played the game plan to a T. He already was familiar with uh, beating a Bill Belichick before because they San Francisco housed the 49ers, dude. Like they, I mean, uh, Patriots, they whooped them. I think it was last year, or maybe the year before. I don't remember, but they whooped them last time they played them. I, that's all I know. And I know that he has a system set where it really does cater to the running game. You got Mostert there as well, too, a guy that was with you in uh, San Francisco as well. So I think Mike McDaniel. McDonald has the 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 locker room for now. See, that's the thing with the Lions. They'll love the, with the Dolphins. They'll love you the first week, but then as we keep going, it might not be the same love. You saw what they just did to their last coach, Brian Flores. It was he's a man. He's a man. A man. You know, bah, 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 bah. he got fired at the end of the year. You know, after everything was all said and done, because he, he didn't live up to the expectations. But then they came back out and said. It was the players that wanted him out. So, go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry, oh, I was going to say, and, and Kevin O'Connor, we got about four minutes left, so I want to get through this game real fast and then get to some of our picks. Uh, Kevin O'Connell, first game against the Packers. Uh, it was pretty obvious that uh, Aaron Rodgers didn't have very many offensive weapons to go to in that game. It was the Justin Jefferson show. Uh, any thoughts from that game? Just no repetition for that team. Yeah. No. Look at uh, the Green Bay performance. Be oh my god, Green Bay! It's, it's panic time. No, 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 no. These guys did no preseason together, uh, but they definitely got things right this week at practice. I know Rodgers. Rodgers did not go in practice and say, "Well, I'm just going to keep looking like Nick Cage, guys." Nope, 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 nope. He was like, "Nah, for, forget all that. We got smoked by the Vikings, and I know that they're going to be all. They're going to be 
they're pointing a finger directly at me. They don't care about the receivers because he makes receivers. He made Jordy Nelson. He made Greg Jennings. He made uh, um, only one he didn't make was Donald Driver. Did he even have Donald Driver? Um, I'm trying to think of all because he's had so many receivers. He had Cobbs came back. He had Devontae Adams. I feel like Rodgers was like how Rivers was. You make the receiver better. You know what I mean? They don't make you better. You make them better. So it's gonna be, it's not gonna be hard for them to make this make this thing work. Okay, as and we wrap up, is also on the- oh yeah, no, I look, I I think you 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 nailed it. That's a fair assessment there about Aaron Rodgers. No no disagreement on my part. Uh, we're we're gonna we're about to close the show right now. Last week I only gave out one pick, one and zero. Oh. I want to keep it rolling. I'm gonna give out one pick again. As we ease into this thing, I'm going to take the Saints at home getting two and a half points against the Buccaneers. I think the Bucs are banged up, and the Saints have had their number over the years. I'm taking the Saints. You got any plays for this week, Pop? I'm going to give you guys a solid one. I'm not going to pick them to win, but I do. they are going to be on my dog uh, ticket. And, Mike, you're not going to hear this. But I got the Cardinals at least covering against the Raiders, if not beating them. I don't, trust them. I don't like that five and a half for the Raiders. It's stinking. All right, it's stanky. I know it's I know it's Vegas opening game, but every game in Vegas is is like a game from a movie. <laughs> hey, no, no disagreement there, man. That's always the Raiders' way, though. You know, that's what makes them a fun follow. Uh, uh, and and that's look, the Raiders fan base has so much passion because the Raiders drive us nuts, right? So I think that's a good pick. Any more as we close here? All right, I'll give you another one, a one that they would call a lock. I would say this. Um, you could go ahead and and say I'm I'm, I'm going to be bold. You got to give it to me because we're closing right now. Bengals, 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 seven and a half. There you go. That's All the man. Right. I always love having Pop on with us because he brings it the way it is. Thank you to Rob Guerrera. That's all the time we have for this week's show, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.